0: And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with us today is Dr. Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church. Uh, Dr. Reeder, it's an honor to have you on with us today. Well, it's great to be back with you, Dan. You know, we see a lot going on in the news lately, and sometimes I feel like I've been transported back to the time when I was just a boy in the 60s. Uh, we're seeing a A lot of hatred, uh, anarchy, rage, vandalism, um, people getting hurt. And I was wondering if we could talk about that a little bit today. And have you been observing this as well?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, And uh, ministering in the midst of it uh, provides a great opportunity, but also some significant challenges um, to think our way through it because of the multiple dynamics that are swirling around in the midst of this chaos, rage, as you properly, uh, a lot of what the Bible calls wisdom from below, and then the embracing of wisdom from below by believers uh, who are working from wrong categories or attempting to deny the realities that are there. I think you were absolutely correct as you recalled the 60s. I would say this is reminiscent of three eras in our, our country's history, um, one would have been the the uh, condition of our country in the early 1700s, uh, prior to and at the out- onset of the outbreak of the Great Awakening. Uh, it was uh, that the, while many believers had come here by the t- in the um, 17th century, by the early 18th century, the culture had devolved into uh, unbelievable chaos and immorality. And uh, out of that came the Great Awakening. And then um, secondly was the 1850s that led to the Civil War. And then um, and then thirdly would be the 60s, uh, as you mentioned, and um, around the Vietnam War and the racial issues of that era. And then I would say this would be um, very much comparable to it and in some ways uh, maybe even more profound than the 60s and, uh, and starting to rival uh, some of the dynamics similar to what was happening in the
0: 1850s. Well, it sure is a serious thing when I hear you describe it that way. I, I'm troubled on many fronts. I'm troubled that this has been, for one thing, made into a race issue. I, I'm sure you feel the same way, but um, I feel perfectly content. To have uh, folks come to our church, let's say the church for example, I, I you know sit in the pew with someone of, of a different ethnicity, but we both love the Lord, and it's like the difference in skin color disappears in the lord
1: yeah uh, that's exactly where it should be, so you know you have uh, you have situations like just occurred at Charlottesville and the quote unquote white supremacy, and on the other side the the antifa and um, movement and um and you find perhaps an inarticulate uh response to that by our president uh we find uh, other people uh, believers jumping on one side or the other and uh, the the ability to express a christian mind is not there at all uh so you know i tried to walk some people through it the other day in a forum and I said, well, you know, I said, first of all, uh, you know, I'm being charged as a Christian that I either have to go on board one group and be against the white supremacists, which I'm against white supremacy. My goodness, I've got three African American grandchildren, <laughs> and um, and then uh, and then I'm against, uh, and but I'm also against the. Uh, as much as I'm against the fascist movement on the right, I'm, I'm opposed to the fascist movement on the left, which sure. probably uh, fascist would not be the right word there. It would be much more in the, the communist world of life right. view. The Hegelian dialectic uh, is at work, and that's why the cultural Marxism tactics are being used. Uh, if you can remember uh, prior to the '60s, uh, you can remember the the communist movements of the uh, '50s. I was just a little bitty boy, but I've watched all the news events and the toppling of statues. That's there's nothing new in this. No, um, that's a cultural Marxist tactic in which you produce anarchy, and when you produce anarchy, you just make you just eat your way back up to the food chain. So uh Confederate statues yes and then we'll come Jefferson Memorial and then we'll come to George Washington cuz it's the same issues will be at play but ultimately what you get to in uh, cultural marxism are the foundational documents and ideals of a nation and once you create the anarchy now the government we have a government now that will be your savior and your solution mm. and uh, so um, uh, so they latch a valid issue, but they uh, they take it and use the tactics to get to what they want to do is to promote the eradication of liberty in order to establish uh, uh, political and governmental tyranny mm. uh, as the savior that that um, that, uh, that people should look to. And then on the other side, it will be the pushback on the other side. So, you know, a biblical world in life, view would begin, and I know right now I'm about to say something that's not very popular, but I'm going to go ahead and say it. Uh, we will never solve this racial uh, issue. never, never of it there'll never be enough confessions there'll never be enough uh, quote unquote transparency and forums there'll never be enough as long as we use uh, the world's paradigms and the first one we have to jettison as believers is we have to get into the public square and push back on the um, on the atheistic Darwinian paradigm of races. Uh, that's, That's the first thing we have to do. We have to come to a biblical paradigm, and you can find it throughout the Bible, most notably, for instance, Acts 17, where the Apostle Paul stands in a very difficult situation in the intellectual capital of the world at Athens, and he says there's one human race. That there is a human race. Microevolution and um and cultural movements have produced multiple ethnicities and nations, but there's only one race from a biblical world in life here. Amen. And that is the human race. Secondly Everyone in that race is fallen and a sinner, and the only reason everyone is not in the either the um, the group on the left or the group on the right is because of God's common grace that restrains us from being as evil as we would be, and um, and then God's redeeming grace that changes us so that we're not simply restrained but now being transformed. The third thing from our world and life view is there is a Savior who saves us out of all of these ethnicities and brings us into a new kingdom where our citizenship is in heaven and we become exiles and sojourners in this world who are also ambassadors for Christ to bring the gospel of the kingdom to all the kingdoms. And that when that becomes at work and obvious and burnished in the lives, the marriages and the families uh, in local churches, which are the embassy of the kingdom of God, now you'll begin to see it infiltrate a nation. But right now our church is the church is taking its marching orders from either the left or the right and not from a biblical world in life view with with a creation, fall, redemption, consummation framework.
0: Mm. You know, as I live each day, and today we're talking with Pastor Harry Reeder I find myself often praying for our president, but I also am concerned, so very concerned that what we want as Christians is another great awakening. You mentioned that in the early seventeen hundreds. Um, can you talk just a little bit about um, what does a great awakening yeah. look like? What does it feel like?
1: Well, I just walk through would be the impact of a public policy that would be framed by the salt and light of uh, kingdom thinking with the Christian mind. But Uh, The real movement is not a top-down from the cultural elite. The real movement is from the bottom-up. And what we need, first of all, is a revived church. That's what we need, first of all. A Great Awakening is not a revival. A Great Awakening is the fruit of revival. So what we need is a revival. And And to have a revival, we need a reformation in the leadership and in the pulpits of the churches. With the leadership of the churches in the preaching and leadership and shepherding and discipling and evangelism with a revived church in which the presence of God is overflowing, but yet we want more and more the revived church then always has two great consequences. Uh, and the, I just finished a series of 20 sermons on revivals in the Bible, and uh, and all of them, it, uh, here was my definition, revival is an extraordinary work of God's grace through ordinary people in ordinary places, through ordinary means for extraordinary purposes. And the two purposes, one's vertical, God-centered worship begins to be the heartbeat of God's church. And number two, an unstoppable, relentless work of evangelism and discipleship, and that's the horizontal work of the revival, and that's the Great Awakening. That's why Benjamin Franklin said in the midst of the Great Awakening, he said, it looked like the whole world is going to church. But what he didn't realize is it looked like the whole world was going to church because the whole church was going into the world with the gospel, (laughs) and no longer was the world coming into the church, but the church was going into the world in order to bring men and women from the world to Christ and therefore to his church, and that's what was made them attractive. And so we had that from 1735 to 17, oh, approximately 65. Then we had another downturn immediately after that, the rise of Unitarian uh, Universalism. The evil empire always strikes back. Then we had the beginning of the Second Great Awakening and Revival, and then the Second Great Awakening that began about 1780, and it was one of those long-simmering with multiple revivals and awakenings over the next hundred years to about 1880. And, um but we have not had anything like that. We had some, what you might think of as many revivals and some blessings uh, in the 50s and 60s, uh, the Jesus Movement, the Graham, Billy Graham Ministry, etc. Uh, there were some blessings out of that, but those were more in the category of the Second Great Awakening than the transforming personal and culture-transforming dynamics of the First Great Awakening that was uh, rooted in solid biblical preaching, evangelism, and discipleship, and a revival in the Church that was unstoppable as it moved into the
0: world. Mm. Yeah, I'd I'd love to see um, the first (laughs) uh, happen again in our day.
1: Well, it's got to start in the pulpit. It doesn't start there. It'll never get to the church, and then it'll never get to the world. Uh, It's got to start in our pulpits. We have got to have men of God who will preach the life, Changing power of the gospel, where we are set free from cancel sin. We, the power of cancel sin is broken. Those twofold blessings of the gospel—I call it the two-story. The foundational story is you are forgiven of sins, guilt, and shame in justification and adoption. And then you are you, then you are set free from sin's power and practice in re, the second story in regeneration and sanctification. Yeah. If, Till we get to, now. Right now, we got a lot of people preaching the first story, but they won't preach the second story because they're afraid they're legalists. And then we got a lot of people that are preaching the second story, but they won't preach the first story <laughs> because um, they're afraid of antinomianism. We've got to have preachers who know how to drop both shoes and know how to preach the gospel of saving grace in Jesus Christ.
0: Mm, yeah, yeah, that's good. I was I was going to ask you any advice for pastors that just may be tuning in today and listening, and real good help for them, and and that would uh, help their church um, become even more healthy, and you've already mentioned this. Um, Any other pointers for these pastors?
1: Well, I would tell these pastors there are three things I've done in my life, and please feel free to totally dismiss it, but <laughs> I think they are biblical. Uh, number one is this. I, I developed five models for my life, and all of them but one, as preachers, and all of them but one begin with the name John. So uh, I get five models for your life, because, uh, and get your models from history, not from the present. In the present, you don't know how people are going to finish. Uh, get your models from the past, and... Um, People who finished strong and, and were faithful and fruitful in God's grace and, and learn from them, know them, drill down, find out about them, how they lived their life, the discipline of their life, the dynamics of their life, the weaknesses of their life. Critique them. Don't get one model because with every model you get the strengths and weaknesses. Get five so you got their strengths to cover each other's weaknesses. That's number one. Number two, get yourself three to five mentors Uh, All of my mentors except one, uh, Dr. Boyce, are all still living, and I still call upon them and make use of them uh, in my life, and I'm very grateful for all of them. And then number three, you need yourself three to five um, what I call motivators, uh, a band of brothers uh, your peers that are kind of facing the issues of life and their marriage and their family and ministry similar to yours, and you got the green light to hold each other accountable. you got the green light to mess with each other, faithful of the wounds of a friend. Mm. Uh, you need those guys in your life, uh, those um, encouragement team, band of brothers. So, 3 to 5 models 3 to 5 mentors 3 to 5 motivators in your life i would strongly encourage that and then i would ask the leadership of the church make some time for your pastor not his vacation make some time every every quarter for him to get away for a 2 or 3 day Personal retreat for fasting and prayer and study and praying and exercise and all of those things. Uh, If you don't, you know, it's no accident that Jesus would get away to the garden. Jesus would get away to the mountaintop. If you don't, if as one guy said, if you don't come apart, you're going to come apart. Mm. So uh, Mm. I, I think that's very important to do that. Get a group of elders or leaders in your church that meet with your pastor uh, to encourage him, uh, to positively evaluate him, to help him improve, and, um, and then do that. But most of all, most of all, you've got to start prayer in the church. You've got to have two types of prayer. Number one is persistent, protracted prayer for revival, and then petitioning prayer, intercessory prayer for one another. The leaders for the members and the members for their leaders, interceding for one another. So protracted prayer for revival, we have not because we ask not. And I mean, I mean desperate. You've got to have a desperation I know a lot of people that want revival, but they're not desperate. Mm. It's, hey, you know, Lord, we really need revival. By the way, if we don't get it, we're okay. But, <laughs> uh, I mean, we need desperate revival. I've got a friend of mine who reminded me of that one time. His name's Al Baker. In fact, I'd encourage people to bring him in yes. for his revival fair week- weekend. He does a great job. and. And uh, he 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 reminded me of this. I remember uh, one of uh, one of our doctors here at Briarwood had a heart attack and. You know, he flatlined four times, and the standard joke in Birmingham is, if you can't have a heart attack at, uh, at the hospital, have it at Briarwood, uh, because we got so many doctors here, and they just flocked around him, and, and this doctor was saved by God's providence through other doctors. But I'll never forget in the midst of it, I'm holding his legs in the air mm. and praying. Uh, we've got people working on him, and then we've got about, I don't know how many people standing around with their arms before the Lord just crying out I saw his wife crying out I looked up in the windows, we had people standing there calling upon the Lord and that kind of desperation is what we need in crying out for revival in the churches.
0: Yes, amen. We, we've talked with Al Baker, he's a wonderful man of God but um, we have no hope today we're talking with Pastor Harry Reeder um, we have no hope as a nation if, if uh We don't seek God in this way, and and God does a mighty work, because this, we started off, we were talking about um, what we're seeing in society, the rage, the hatred, the anarchy, and uh, this does not have a good end, does it?
1: No, uh, but, you know, it's an open door. I mean, we've seen revivals and awakenings come out of moments like this. Now, by the way, this could be the closing of the door. My goodness, uh, go find me a nation lasting more than 300 years. Uh, This this could be the closing of a door. Uh, But I'm praying that it's the opening of a third uh, revival and great awakening. That's what I'm pointedly praying for, laboring for, asking God for, I'm willing for whatever the Lord wants to do, but I'm calling upon the Lord of the harvest, and that's the Holy Spirit. I'm asking for the Lord of the harvest, that is the Holy Spirit, to send forth laborers, because I know Jesus has a harvest, that he is secured uh, from the cross uh, to save his people from their sins, so with that confidence, and I now have a confidence in the means of grace. so I want to go out and do that and ask a sovereign God you know to bring those blessings to bear upon us uh, and to and we're just ordinary people, ordinary means, ordinary places for him to do a great and glorious work. And so now when you look at our nation, uh, we are in a, you're, the absence. You know, what's really interesting about our nation was and we had a nation that coming out of the Great Awakening actually fought a war for freedom, declared their freedom with the Declaration of Independence. Then unlike France, we ordered our freedom with the Constitution, uh, again, the influence of the church, uh, the Scottish Presbyterian Church, Lex Rex, ruled by law, that see that the law in this country would not be a, a king, we're not a monarchy, it would not be the elite, we're not an oligarchy, it will not be the mob, we're not a democracy, it's a republic representative, and we have a king, and that king is our constitution, our covenant, which is the constitution. So liberty was ordered un, instead of um, the anarchy of France. And then Mm -hmm. thirdly, the most brilliant thing they did was the Bill of Rights and the First Amendment, which had the least uh, debate uh, when it was passed, because everybody knew that's why we're here. Those six freedoms that are affirmed in the First Amendment, and the first and most notable is the free practice of religion, because that's how liberty is matured and maintained. So when the church is revived and doing its job, then it begins to do the work it needs to do and when it does the work it needs to do then the liberty of a nation is not only maintained it becomes matured so that you know, we get voting rights to everyone. We get the we get the principles of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness applied to everyone, and um, and not just a certain group of people. We get those changes that take place with the uh, with the influence of the salt and light of the gospel. Well, with the waning of the influence of the church, what is happening? Well, no longer do you have a a country that is not a racial country it is a country that made up of ideals ideals is not a race not a not an ethnicity country it is a country that has an ethnicity from its ideals as it draws upon all kinds of people that come here. So, e pluribus unum, out of many become one. Well, we don't have that now. Now we've got a hyphenated American. uh, America. I'm a European American, I'm an African American, I'm an Asian American, because we've lost the ideals. Well, we've lost the ideals because that which produced those ideals a biblical world and life view is no longer flowing out of the church into the public square with common grace or into the public square with redeeming grace, with evangelism and discipleship.
0: Well, you've said a mouthful. Thank you very much. (laughs) Today we're talking with Pastor Harry Reeder, and uh, what a blessing, uh, my brother, it is to talk with you. Our listeners have the privilege of hearing you every day on Today in Perspective, and we've recently added fresh bread to uh, part of our program day, and so you're a regular voice here at Redeemer Broadcasting. Um, If someone would like to read more, uh, I think you've written a couple of books, maybe there's a website, um, maybe a a book that has helped you in your personal life. Um, Could you share anything with our listeners?
1: Wow, what a great question. We we don't have enough time for all of that, but... uh, (laughs) Uh, of course, I would encourage people, I can get the app. For today in perspective and fresh bread, just by going to our 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 Briarwood Presbyterian website, and they can download the app, and then they can also listen to uh, your your broadcast, which I'm very grateful for. Thank you for the, the privilege we can partner together. You know, I think uh, I think you might enjoy Oz Guinness's book uh, Indivisible, and I think you might um, you know I have really enjoyed a number of books. I highly recommend Nancy Piercy's book Total Truth. Uh, appreciate the uh, Arnold Dallamore uh, two-volume biography on George Whitfield. Uh, that was life-changing for me to work my way through it. I believe Ian Murray has pulled out another biography on him that uh, <clears throat> that you might find uh, encouraging and and helpful. But um, uh, Sinclair Ferguson's new book, "The Whole Christ," uh, I highly commend that to you. Uh, So those would be some things that I think you would find encouraging and profitable for myself. I have a book called The Leadership Dynamic. It's out of print at the moment, but Christian Focus is putting it back into print with study questions and uh, how to turn the church into a leadership factory for the world. That is, our leader, not just getting leaders from the world into our church, but us developing the leaders to go into the world Uh, Secondly is um, the book Embers to a Flame on how to lead your church to revitalization, the biblical paradigm of church revitalization. In fact, we'll be up there this fall to do a conference in New Jersey, uh, invited by the National Baptist Convention, the African-American Baptist Convention, have invited us to come up and do that. But it's wide open to everyone, and we look forward to being there. Um, in the, in the New England area, uh, and then, um, but uh, those two books are are out there, and I also contributed a chapter to uh, Chuck Garriott's book. It's called Rulers, and I think people might find that very helpful as well. And then um, another book that I contributed a chapter to that's put out by um, Fortress Publications and. Charlie Rodriguez is called uh, Statism uh, One and Two. There are two volumes to it. I, I contributed a chapter, I think it was in volume two. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I think those would be helpful uh, books around these subjects.
0: Well, that's tremendous. And today we've been talking with Dr. Harry Reeder, senior pastor, Briarwood Presbyterian Church, often heard on Redeemer Broadcasting. Uh, pastor Reeder, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: It's been my pleasure, and thank the Lord for you and your ministry, brother.
0: (laughs) Dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer.